Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. We hope this message empowers you to love life, love Jesus, love people, and dream more. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. Thank you, Android, for that amazing gospel message. Isn't that true? You're a rock, you're a piece of paper or your scissors, and you can just use to play the game to destroy each other, or you could actually build something amazing together. It's not a time when we start coming out of, you, you start to find out who's been hibernating in summer here in Michigan. Uh, Tyler, who lives next door to us, he, he was like, it's crazy how much we're outside. I forgot what it was like to be outside. And so even just this season, I think, starts to get us back out to believe again. Whoa, there's sun. It's awesome. It wasn't hidden behind the clouds anymore. Let's be honest, winter can be droopy to some degree. It can affect our personality. Not everybody's a snowboarder or, you know, uh, got the late night money from salt in the roads and stuff. I mean, some of us, we're just like, well, can't wait for it to pass. But God put us here for a reason. He put us here, why? So we could be together to show his love to a place that he loves so desperately. I believe that. I believe he loves Lansing in ways that we can't even think or imagine. And sometimes we tolerate where we're at But I pray today that we see a story that would inspire us to not just invest, but surrender in a way that really models the love of Jesus Christ. And it's in Acts chapter six. There's a couple chapters in the Bible that have really impacted my life in just remarkable ways, okay? The whole Bible wrecks me. Like really works me over time and time and time again. But there's a couple, though, that have almost been thematic for my life, meaning, okay, this is inspirational to the point where I think that it's causing some serious activity adjustments in my, in my day-to-day, uh, in my living, and, and just how I think and act and operate. And, and Acts chapter 6 is, is one of them. And it starts out like this. It says, during this time, as the disciples were increasing in numbers by leaps and bounds, hard feelings developed among the Greek-speaking believers, Hellenists, towards the Hebrew-speaking believers because their widows were being discriminated against in daily food lines. So the 12 had called a meeting of the disciples. They said, it wouldn't be right for us to abandon our responsibilities for preaching and teaching the word of God to help with the care of the poor. So friends... Choose seven men from among you whom everyone trusts, men full of the Holy Spirit and good sense, and we'll assign them this task. Meanwhile, we'll stick to our assigned tasks of prayer and speaking God's word. And as it continues, the congregation thought that this was a great idea. They went ahead and chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. Then they presented them to the apostles. Praying, the apostles laid hands and commissioned them for their task. The word of God prospered. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased dramatically. Not least, a great many priests submitted themselves to the faith. We're going to break this down and go back to the beginning of it. It says, during this time, time being what? All right, the book of Acts starts out with some legendary behavior. 
Jesus ascends. He says, I am going to leave you here, but wait upon the Holy Spirit. And then you're going to become witnesses to me all across the world. You're going to have power to preach. And not just power to just talk, but you're actually going to now demonstrate it in such a way people are going to say, that looks like a Jesus person. They got something different. People will be attracted. They'll start to want to conversate and they'll learn and there'll be signs and wonders and they'll repent and turn from their old life and turn to this new life that God is offering them. And Peter, he preaches a sermon and 3,000 people are added to the church. It's continuing. The church is growing. They're meeting in homes. They're sharing. They're distributing all they got. I mean, think of how different this is than our day. What we get, we hold to ourselves, and we just think how we can only give a certain amount. They're trying to redistribute so that everyone that has need would be able to come and be a part of. Now, someone could say, well, didn't that church then have issues and they didn't have money set aside later or they, when they were persecuted? And you could say, yeah, potentially. But still, the qualities that God was wanting to show, I think, were so present. And even during times of suffering, they still continue to show the qualities of God. Because you can't just show the qualities of God when things are good. You also show them when things are really bad. Because his love isn't just about when it's the highlights. It's about the heart light. And he's always got his light on our hearts. It's pretty challenging. It's actually really beautiful, though, when we let him in. He starts to transform us. So during this time, that's what's taking place. And the disciples were increasing in numbers, leaps and bounds. Everyone wants to see this. What does revival look like? People pray for this. I want to see hundreds of people come to Jesus. You know what revival, that's what I really believe. Revival looks like you really letting God love you and then growing with the people that God's put in your life. That's revival. It's a miracle when somebody comes to God. It's a miracle when two people start agreeing in the things that God is doing. And it's not just a sign, which is amazing at times, but it's also when nobody's looking behind the scenes. It's how God works. Now, some hard feelings developed among the Greek-speaking believers, the Hellenists. And there's a difference here because you have individuals that are Jews that some have adopted the culture and started to shift their dialect and their speech. And then you have some OGs, the originals, all right? Still speaking in the Hebrew language and they're believers. And so here's what you have going on here is some friendly fire. You have a little bit of a family conflict. You have a situation where they've brought to the disciples' attention, hey, this inside thing even has different tiers to it. They're called cliques. And our widows aren't being taken care of and so we want to tell you we're feeling like outsiders and we want you to recognize and we basically aren't happy. And even the language there and how it starts to talk about is that when they were having this, they were mumbling and grumbling. They were having kind of this meeting on the side and it would be in private. And so then they started bringing it out. Isn't it the worst when not only somebody closest to you um, has an issue with you and they bring it up to you, but what about when they had an issue and they also conspired before and then they bring it to you? Does that hurt a little bit more? It hurts. It hurts when it's friendly fire. But they had a fair request and then the critique was so sound that I think today when we get requests or critiques, 
our first response is typically to defend and isolate, but here's how they respond in a way that says, hmm, let me hear from a leadership standpoint, because we know this, that God's heart, he cares about how food and how resources would be distributed to those in need to widows, to poor. This is a modern day welfare system way back then for instituted by the church for the church and then also to the outside world that they would be a part of. So God has always cared about social injustice issues. So the gospel isn't some issue on the side. It's, it's, it's present right in the midst of. Now, this is so beautiful because I think we find ourselves in the world and we say, okay, well, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. And so since I'm not of the world, I need to remove myself from the world. And so we get on the outside, we're like, oh, they have their things, they have their cities, and referring to the world, sinners, they have other stuff. But wait, when we stop, it's not the things or the stuff that's wicked, it's, it's the heart condition. And in fact, we, when we're present, we get to show what love looks like in our jobs, in our schools, when we stick up for somebody that is so hurt in our region, right there, right now, in a day and age. That's what God's heartbeat was. And I love that the 12, they responded, they get it. They said, okay, all right, we're in. So the 12, they call the meeting of the disciples. So they get the leaders around. They said, it wouldn't be right for us to abandon our responsibilities for preaching and teaching the word of God to help with the care of the poor. So friends, choose seven from among you whom everyone trusts, men full of the Holy Spirit in good sense. This almost, this, is this type of job description seems so unreasonable. Do you feel like you're fit and qualified for this? You'd be, well, how, do I get, how do I get in line? How do I help these disciples? We'll assign to them this task. Meanwhile, get this, the leaders, meanwhile, we'll stick to our assigned tasks of prayer in speaking God's word. Now, if you've ever worked in a job where there's multiple departments, so when I worked at Toshiba, there was a shipping department and then there was a sales department. In the shipping department, you know what they always said? Stinking salesmen, always last second telling us to ship something. They don't know how hard it is back here. And if they would just slow down and get their paperwork right, we wouldn't have to be dealing with all their junk and it's a bunch of issues, it's their issues. And then, and then come to the team meeting and be like, yeah, we're on the same team. I'm out shipping, okay, boom, salespeople. Man, would you just ship what I want? Okay, in fact, I'm gonna go stop and I'm gonna ship it now so that, I, look, look, I'm gonna wear your hat too. I'm gonna take on your responsibilities. And if we are honest with ourselves, I think this is exactly what happens as we start to believe even the lie. We think this in church, it's the, it's the joke about pastors is, oh, it must be nice. You work one day of the week, right? Preaching and teaching the word of God. It must be so fun to just get up there and just, and, and forgetting though the weight and the responsibility and what the wind looks like, the wind, okay? The wind is driving us somewhere that the church understood so much. These leaders got, okay, the vision and the mission. Jesus left us and he said this, you gotta go preach, you gotta go teach, you gotta go love, you gotta go pray, and you gotta let more people know about it because it's that good. It's God's goodness that leads people to repentance. It's not them walking through the door and every person, we, we say, hey, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, and if you're just right, God might love you. In fact, no, no, it's the opposite way around. Yes, we're sinners. We see the nature of our heart throughout all of the text. But what we find though is God's nature is loving kindness, steadfast love. And so what you find then is the good news not only describes how bad the bad is, but it starts to describe how good God 
is. And so here's the leadership move they do. They say, it's not fit that we should stop doing this to stop and deal with this responsibility over here. I'm not sure about you, but that sounds like a business about ready to fight. Oh, you wanna give us more workload? Oh, oh, you wanna go do the sexy fun stuff? Oh, we're over here in the trenches dealing with all the weight. Have you ever helped somebody when they, when they have need? Maybe some of you are here and you have need and you don't know what to do because you're in a chaos state and all you can think is just survival mode. That's what they're saying. I'm gonna position and commission you to go deal with those that are struggling and we're gonna go continue to preach and we're gonna go continue to teach and we're gonna go continue to pray and it's so worth it because that's how beautiful the vision is. That's how amazing the gospel is. That's how awesome it is. If I told you today, okay, hey, we gotta get some volunteers. NBA finals tonight. All right, teams, exciting. Everything is awesome, okay? And someone gets to carry LeBron's bags. Yeah, somebody. Even if you don't like LeBron, you wanna carry his bags. And we're gonna cover all your, we're gonna cover all your stuff. You just gotta volunteer. You're gonna work about six hours. And what do you think about that? And they call you back and they say, hey, you want to do it again? You start. You've volunteered left and right because you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself. You want to be a part of a movement. You start to feel excited and engaged. But what about if the same person calls you up and says, hey, I got this amazing opportunity. All right. The local schools in Lansing, they, they need someone to like pass out food. It's like, oh, that doesn't sound as fun, does it? And we want to take it a step further. We want after hours, we want you to go to their houses and start to find out um, their issues and sit down with them and uh, really love them as God loves them. And it starts to speak to your soul, but it's, it doesn't really speak to the, the same kind of pizzazz. And you know what happens when they heard this? When they heard this leadership decision and they understood the mission and the vision, for us, our vision is to simply be a good news church, all about the gospel, centered in the gospel, built on the gospel in and through and for but loving the city one life at a time. And the city isn't an afterthought, it's God's thought. And every point of commerce and commonplace where people interact, God cares about and he cares about the one. And so when we ask to do things and we talk about being on a team and everything is awesome, that's kind of the banner we're doing it under. Uh, and we're doing it in a way that I hope that this would be the church that we're a part of. And it continues and it says in verse five, it says the congregation, they thought this was a great idea. They went ahead and chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And then the rest of the individuals and they presented them to the apostles. This is, this is how deep church infrastructure was. It wasn't that they were um, better. It was that they were different in role. God's bringing you a part of his team. It's not so that you can uh, conform and you can be uniformed and wear the same logo. It's actually so that you could still be you, be your paper, be your rock, be your scissor, but now use it in a way that reflects his beauty and how he created you. And then they take them to the disciples and they laid hands on them and commissioned them for the work. You see the leadership engaged to commission people for behind the scenes activity. Who's went to a movie here? Every person, I hope. If not, we need to have a social talk. And 
When you go to the movies, it was easy when it's yourself, but as you get more kids, you just can't believe how much it costs or if you've taken other people or a date and, and it just seems to increase and increase more and more. But at the, end of the, at the end of the day, we're there to enjoy it. Give me two hours of awesomeness so I can shove popcorn down my face and I can eat a bunch of candy and, just, and then talk about what was wrong with the movie as I walk out. Maybe a thing or two, I liked it. But there's something interesting about the movie is we enjoyed it. We enjoyed just what, what, what made into the, the, the final edit. We love it. Oh, that's the final edit. But then there's the credits. Sometimes we'll stay only if there's something fun afterwards. There's a little clip. Who stays for the credits? Who stays for the credits if there's nothing afterwards? Okay, couple. Awesome. You're for sure of these people we can choose to do this amazing things. God cares about every name that's on the credit list. And they share in the same reward because here's the truth. What happens behind the scenes in the gospel is so significant to God's plan that it's not just what the stage profile of what God's doing through the public ministry, but it's also into the, the trenches that nobody sees that's been loving. And I think a little bit in our life, we could feel like, okay, God hasn't been working. I'm watching this movie of everybody else's life. But what you don't know is God's been editing behind the scenes. He's got a whole list of characters. And sometimes you won't even be involved in that moment, but God will bring it to fruition. I'm telling you, because it's his mission and your life is his. And he cares about you that deeply. And so behind the scenes, he's working right now. And behind the scenes right there, he was working. And the story of, of anyone's life, I think, um, really gets beautiful when you, when you don't make it about you. Martin Luther King Jr. has a famous quote. It says, you never truly live until you find something worth dying for. When you think of Jesus to come alive, to be a part of something bigger than yourself, you probably heard of the word church and you thought maybe building at some point, but what God was really meaning was carriers of my love, carriers of my presence, carriers of my truth, carriers of what forgiveness looks like. And would you bloom? Would you plant? Would you love? Will you take care of the widows? Will you show what this whole new kingdom, this good news looks like? And when we quit making the story about us, we begin with God's story. And God's story is God's glory. It really is simple as that. That our lives, we are created to glorify God. The most dangerous prayer you could pray is, God, I wanna glorify you. How do I glorify you now? But the most liberating prayer you could ever pray is, God, how do I glorify you now in my life? There's two main ways that we can glorify God, but it all starts in the heart. It's the attitude. We glorify God in our own personal heart. We purify our motives. Why am I on the team? Why do I want to be involved? Why do I want to be engaged? What do I want to do? What am I looking for today? Why do I want to love? Why am I working at that job for real? What am I doing? Is it just about getting the benefit? Because God checks us and he says, am I not enough? Am I not worth it? Did I not give you everything? Why do you need the thing? Stop. I love you. I love you. I love you. When you really understand God's love and that you're a child of God, it changes your posture. You walk into settings differently. And too often, here's what we say. We say, God, I want to be used. And then here's what we say. God, I am so tired because you're using me. And here, here's where we missed it. He's not using us. He's with us the whole time. And that's his love is saturating us and that if we're all playing our part, it doesn't matter if you're in shipping or if you're in sales, we're all on the same 
team. We all share in the same win. When the gospel's preached, we share in it. When the good news is shared and lived and when somebody celebrates or if somebody mourns, we're sharing in the pain, as we talked about last week, and we're sharing in the gain. So the second thing is just looking at our heart and the glory of God is to really say, okay, this team thing, there's a higher importance to it and I wanna be a part of something bigger than myself and that's God's work. And the big filter is this, Jesus. There is no other name. There is no other name. Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. If you serve long enough, you'll start to think it's built on your love and your faithfulness. And you'll start to have to deal with some issues in your heart because when God's not showing up, you missed it because it was never about our faithfulness and our steadfast love. It was about his faithfulness in his steadfast love. That's great news for us today. It really is. So that's all your mess, all your mistakes. God can still redeem, but you got to let him in. Isaiah 48, 8 says this, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Could sound almost like this God is a little clinically insane. Or it could sound that he knows exactly what is best. He's perfect. He's true. He's all-knowing. He's loving. He's kind. The response um, to Acts chapter six and, and verse seven, this little passage, it ends like this. It says, the word of God prospered by their obedience. Think of this, okay? If you're obedient, I wanna say a disclaimer. It doesn't always mean that God's gonna do something amazing for your life. In fact, sometimes if you do good, you might suffer. You might have less. But I love how remarkable in just showing the grace of the church and the grace of obedience here is that they were taking care of that need and, and the body's looking brilliant and it's just loving and showing. It says the word of God prospered. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased dramatically, not least a great many priests submitted themselves to the faith. Who? Priests? Why do you write that? Priests. Interesting. Because when you study how Jesus is talking to priests in that time, a lot of Pharisee conflicts. They're misrepresenting God and he's combating them. Now here Jesus has ascended. He left his Holy Spirit and this point of contention now is becoming a point of redemption and that people are starting to see through obedience, not just Jesus's obedience, but the obedience of his followers. They're starting to understand, wow, this is good. <laughs> this hashtag Jesus same team thing is good. This is worth my life. It's that beautiful. Our filter is Jesus. Our filter is his glory. Our filter is his team. And so it is not about our name. It's not about a clip that we get to be in the movie. And though we all want to be, do something great, but you have to know this in Jesus Christ, he's seen everything you've ever done. And he notices every dollar you've ever given, every prayer you've ever prayed, and every time you've ever been wronged, he's there with you. And I think the first response when we get um, hurt, it's not only to lash out and hurt, but it's to want to tell somebody how we've been wronged. And there is a time and a place for that. Like we have to stand up as the church and the body of Christ, but, but also speaking to believers just for a moment, to believers to say, is God not enough for us? Is he not enough? And that's individually. And is he not enough for us that we could actually step into somebody else's pain? 
And we can, I'm in, okay, I'm gonna rise up. I get it, the team, I get what we're doing. I get what we're a part of. I get what we're happening. You know, Stephen, one of the individuals of the seven, I'm gonna close with this thought. Stephen is a, a hero. There's no other way to put it. He's the first person that uh, gave his life for the gospel. It's a picture here of uh, Stephen the Levite's album, and you should go listen to it. Um, and so I just kind of give you an imagery of, of what, what Stephen's life looked like. So Stephen, he's distributing food. He's taking care of the issues behind the scenes. The, the disciples are out there. They know the 12, they're preaching, they're praying. He's behind the scenes. He's not getting mad and bitter. In fact, he's working signs and wonders when nobody's looking. He's praying, he's leading, he's, and he develops some opposition from the religious leaders of that day. And the crowd starts to gather around him and they're accusing him. And he preaches so boldly. He proclaims the good news. And they get mad because it's the sin in their heart. They're, they're, not, they're not just mad at him, they're mad at God. And they literally stone him to death. And this is such a horrible, but yet radically beautiful uh, moment because Jesus is standing and he commits his spirit to him. And here's what he says. He says, count their sin, not against them. How could anybody say that in that moment? Because he understood something about his Lord. His Lord had not counted his sin against him. And therefore, when Jesus prayed, forgive them for they know not what they're doing, he's just being like his father because he's been spending time with them. He's been spending time. He knew, he knew what, what, what game is all about. You don't just play the game to play the game. You play the game for the love of it. And when you lose the love of it, you're gone. And so here today, is it for the love of God? Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know such radical power that Stephen would say, Father, forgive them, right? Like count their sin not against them. It's because he knew the wages of sin. He knew how high the stakes were. He knew the game we were in. I mean, this is not entry level, but how beautiful it was that we could be rooted in the body of Christ. And today there's two crowds. I mean, I pray that you would be rooted in the body of Christ. And if you're on the outside, I pray you're coming back in. Or maybe you were never in. I pray you're coming in for the first time. You're coming at the feet of Jesus and just saying, I'm sorry, I'm gonna lay down my life. And then there's the other crowd that says, okay, I've been rooted, but I've been complaining a lot. I'm not, I'm not cheerfully doing this. I'm not excited when things happen. I'm, I, I, God, I need you to just reprogram me today. Check my heart, audit my heart, audit my motives for your glory alone. Too much of my life I've made about me. And I, I would dare believe that a lot of you could relate to that. Too much of our lives we've made about ourselves. Colossians 2, 13 through 14, it says, And you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And then Colossians 3 says, set your minds, in verse 2, on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There is your position. There is your security. There is your joy. There is your hope. There is your love. There is your freedom. There is your, all the pains, the discomfort. And you know, as the body of Christ, 
we need to stand up for each other right now. And we need to stand up for, for people that are being oppressed. We need to stand up in the world. We need to look at our Facebooks. We need to calibrate. We need to audit our hearts. Say, why am I doing this? Why am I working here? What am I thinking about? Why am I part of the team? What, what's awesome here? I hear the acronym together, everybody achieves more. What does that really mean for me now? I'll tell you what this can all mean. Is This passage is so convicting in Acts chapter six. It's just so convicting of people that are so fixated on the call and the vision and the mission of God that says, have your way. Have your way. Have your way. Let's pray. Jesus, we say, have your way right now. God, no games, but have your way. I get an image of um, like us getting ready for a parade. You know, some are just receiving, getting the candy and think it's, oh, but the parade typically has a meaning of a day or a significant event. And we're, we're, we're celebrating. We don't, heaven's not here yet, but we're celebrating the event that we've been set free. And we want more people to experience and be a part of this celebration. And the parade is all about Jesus. That you're the king. You're the king of our families. You're the king of our life. You're the king of our hearts. And God, for someone in this place right now, that they've been battling sin in such a powerful way. They have so much condemnation, so much shame. I pray that you would break them free right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, God, breathe. For somebody that can just feel like I can never be a part of a team again. I pray today that they'll feel peace and surrender to your power and your love. God, thank you for your sweet presence. Thank you for your word. And thank you for the life of Stephen. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the City Life Lansing podcast. Loving you and loving the city one life at a time. For more information, messages, and to partner financially, go to citylifelancing.com. You belong here.